Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 175 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Mike Curtin, Jr. Michael F. Curtin, Jr. is the Chief Executive Officer at DC Central Kitchen, a non-profit developer of innovative social ventures that break the cycle of hunger and poverty. Under his leadership, DC Central Kitchen has grown from $3 million to $17 million in annual revenue, with nearly 60% earned through mission-driven social enterprise activities, and 48% of its staff having completed its own nationally recognized culinary job training program for individuals with high barriers to employment. DC Central Kitchen staff provide locally sourced, scratch-cooked meals to Washington, DC's public schools distribute wholesale fresh produce to area corner stores, and operate a retail cafe and catering operation in one of DC's most underserved communities. Prior to joining DC Central Kitchen in 2004, Mike had more than 20 years' experience in the hospitality industry, including owning and operating his own restaurant. He is a frequent speaker on the intersection of workforce development, healthy food access, and social enterprise. So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Mike's experience leading America's first community kitchen. We'll get Mike's insights and perspective on social enterprise opportunities, and we'll hear what Mike believes can be done to break the cycle of hunger and poverty. So Mike, thanks so much for joining us from from DC. Well, thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. So to kick things off, Mike, could you Mm -hmm. please share a little bit about your background and what led you to working in the social enterprise and nonprofit sectors? Sure. Well, I'd have to say that uh, that part of my my story is is a a long and windy path, uh, not one that would be easy to follow or that I would recommend anyone following it. Uh, as you mentioned, I spent a fair amount of time in the hospitality business prior to coming to DC Central Kitchen, and and for part of that, I owned and operated my own restaurant, mm. uh, a time that I now refer to as my first experience in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. So not not a uh, a terrific experience all the way around. Although it did and it did bring me ultimately to DC Central Kitchen. But having worked in that hospitality uh, area for so long and and seen the the value of, of food and how food can create community, I was intrigued when I came across DC Central Kitchen as a restaurateur and got to know Robert Egger, the founder of DC Central Kitchen. Mm. Uh, and so I, I I volunteered here. I, I did some uh, donations here. Helped raise money for the kitchen but never thought of it as a career. But when my uh, time in the restaurant ended, uh, I was doing some consulting work, and then I found this opportunity here at DC Central Kitchen. So I, like many of our students, came to DC Central Kitchen looking for that next chapter in my life Mm. to find that purpose that I felt was missing. Uh, And and I am incredibly fortunate to have found that here and to to be able to take the, the enterprise entrepreneurial side of my life from before the kitchen 
and to combine it with that social aspect that was always an important part of, of my growing up with my family uh, and, and really creating this social enterprise experience here at DC Central Kitchen. Wonderful. Well, it's been an incredible journey, Mike. So as CEO then of DC Central Kitchen, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your organization and, and the impact that you create every year. Sure. Well, you know, what's really interesting for us, especially in the context of the social enterprise sector, is that we started out as a very traditional, uh, you could even say charity, although we, we're, we're loath to use that word, a, a social service organization, gathering food that was going to be wasted, turning that into healthy meals and serving that to shelters and transitional homes and other organizations in Washington, D.C., yeah. uh, while doing a little job training. Mm. Uh, but what we learned quickly was that uh, we could be doing that forever. That was sort of the model that had been adopted in this country of to fight hunger and poverty was just give away free food. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we quickly saw that 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 wasn't going to work. We were never going to feed our way out of hunger. We never will feed our way out of hunger. Mm. Uh, we had to create opportunities for the individuals to whom we were providing food, as well as the fo folks coming through our training program, pathways to independence. And so that's when we really began, or there are a couple other things that that, that we'll probably get to that, that sort of triggered our significant steps into social enterprise. But it was really, the, the, it's this realization that we have to get people to a place where they can control their own destinies. Mm. Uh, and, and so that is what the kitchen has tried to do. Uh, we focused on individuals who have extreme barriers to employment, uh, whether that those are histories of incarceration or addiction or homelessness um, or other traumas, uh, but but uh, experiences that not only prevent them from becoming the people they want to be, but are draining our economy of resources. Mm. And so we had to. We, you know, this, this this is the whole social enterprise experience, right? It is to get to a place where we can do well, but but do it in a sustainable way that's replicable and repeatable over time. And and so that's where the kitchen has really focused. And I think that uh, when we, we've developed a social return on investment model and annually now we're turn, putting about $70 million of measurable social uh, and economic benefits back into our community through the work that we do here at DC Central Kitchen. Yeah, it's absolutely enormous. Yeah, well, well done on achieving that, Mike and team, um, because that's no, no easy feat, that's for sure. Nah. So but it feels good when you do it. <laughs> absolutely. So you, you spoke a little bit about perhaps the change in, in your business model and, and also how you're looking to create a deeper sort of systemic level of change. So what have been some of your biggest challenges then in, in leading the organization and how have you navigated your way around them? Sure. Well, you know, I have to say it, it's interesting. There, there are two that, that, that sort of dovetail together. Um, one did happen just recently uh, that was a result of, the, of one of the earlier challenges. And that was way back in 2006 uh, when, when the city was asking us to, to, to provide more meals to their shelters and to provide better meals for their shelters, uh, a wire, wider variety, menu variety, more fresh fruits and vegetables, more protein. Um, but we, but they asked us to do this all for free, right? Um, as they had for the last for the previous thirteen years or sixteen years, I'm sorry. Uh, and we finally said, you know what? We just can't continue to do this, and we can't continue to do this in the way that that needs to be done. Yep. Um, with the level of respect that needs to be given this food, if the city is refusing to participate economically or financially in this venture, mm. uh, ultimately, so we we had to 
really convince them that this was this was part of their responsibility and we could do this together. We weren't asking them to pay it for everything, yep. but to treat us as a business and the work that we do as value. Uh, and the individuals that we were working with and for were also valuable. That's what we wanted to do. And it, you, one would have thought it would have been a fairly simple conversation, but it, it wasn't. It took months. And ultimately, at the end of it, we had to go on strike mm-hmm. to get to the place where we really wanted to be. Um, and part of that in, in involved our, our founder, Robert Egger, and myself going on an eight-day hunger strike uh, to prove, to really put a, a fine point on the um, on the point we were making that this was not just about DC Central Kitchen is one particular contract, but this was about the larger social sector and, and the value that needs to be placed on our work. Mm. So this was a huge challenge that we were facing, yeah. really uh, the potential of going out of business. Uh, but we felt that standing up for the work that we were doing was was wildly important. So this led to a contract that ended up being about a million and a half dollars, really our 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 biggest step at the point at that point into social enterprise. Mm. Uh, and that really teed us up to develop our other enterprises, most importantly, this locally sourced school food program um, that, that really we embarked on as a, res, uh, as a response to the global financial crisis in 2008, when philanthropy was really being threatened, and, but the need that we were serving was increasing. Mm. And so... We figured we needed to expand our mission, but we needed to do it in a way that was, again, sustainable and, and replic- or, 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 um, scalable. And we, we settled on school food and started in that business and then and continued to grow that over years. That started from a $2 million business to about $6.5 million now. Yeah. Um, but most recently, last year, at the end of last year, uh, we faced our, our biggest challenge when the city, for reasons still unknown, opted to give most of that shelter contract to a politically connected um, for-profit business based in Maryland Mm. uh, outside of the district of Columbia. Uh, So that was a huge financial blow to us, uh, but, but uh, are one that we could have responded to by laying off a significant number of staff, uh, most of whom would have been graduates of our program, but we didn't feel that that was in keeping with who we are, where we wanted to be. So we had to uh, not only figure out how we could cut some of our expenses, but add more business. So over the last few months, we've added close to another million dollars in contracts, a business that is really important to us and actually ultimately will be better for the community. Um, Again, as we've continued to feed the shelters, we've said, you know, ultimately, this isn't the business we want to be in because this isn't helping people get to a better place. This is just tethering people to poverty. And we didn't really want to be privy to that or party to that. Uh, so we, we've we've pivoted to really focusing on businesses that will not only create jobs, but will create va- other economic value in the community. Um, so all of those challenges are sort of tied to, together. Uh, and, 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 and one of the pieces that, that does do that, that binds them, is the fact that, that no matter how hard we try, at least in the United States of America, still this notion of so- social enterprise still is not is undervalued. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is not recognized for the significant, larger economic, socioeconomic impact that it has. Yeah, you know, I think folks in the, particularly the UK, and 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 we'll see in Africa this year at the, at the forum, but in Australia, New Zealand, uh, and and Asia, there's a much greater understanding and government support of of this these endeavors, but we're still lacking significantly here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so what do you believe can be done to help? improve that support that, that you're experiencing in the United States? I mean, in, in terms well, of government support. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's really hard, Tom. I, I think we 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 as a sector have to continue to do our work and continue continue to devise better ways to tell that story. As yep. I as I said, we've developed a social return on investment formula yep. that we're really pushing out hard uh, and, and really showing the value of training and a, a small investment in training and employing people, yep. as opposed to keeping people incarcerated. Mm. And I, as, as as you know. Although we we don't lead the world in social enterprise, we lead the world in incarceration. Yeah, uh, and and therefore we spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year, not only on lost productivity while people are in prison, but we still have these immense barriers and stereotypes and labels attached to people coming out of prison, preventing them from getting a job and being part of productive part of society. So this is a a self fulfilling. Uh, prophecy, an a, a almost a seemingly endless cycle of failure mm. that we are promoting, you know, promoting through government policies that prevent people from getting job clearances, or, or, yeah. or you know, just the, the, the emotional or psychological scars that people carry coming out of incarceration. Yeah. Uh, so we really have to get our heads around that as a country, and, and the government has a huge role to play if they're courageous enough and, and opt to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you you guys are really essentially all about breaking the cycle of hunger and poverty, right? So are there any other key barriers that you believe are really getting in the way of, of doing that? Well, I, I do think the, these, the, unfortunately, these stereotypes um, uh, around uh, people who have faced some of these barriers um, exist as they did when we started, when Robert started the kitchen. And yeah. unfortunately, at this point right now in our collective history as a country, things are only worse, I'd have to say. Mm. And there, there is still this, um, unfortunately, this mythology about this notion of an American, of the American dream, as if it's a, a, some sort of box on a shelf at the American dream store that anyone can walk in and just take it and go on their merry way. And yeah. that just isn't the way things are, op things are operating now. And like, as I said, it's, it's getting worse. So I yeah. think that we really have people, we again have to admit that there's an issue. We have to admit that the system is, is there are inequities baked into the system. There is systemic racism that exists in our country today. Mm. And, and until we admit that, we're never going to get to a place where we can actually start doing something to solve it. We can't solve a problem that we pretend doesn't exist. Yeah. And, and so I, I think having that honest conversation and not being afraid to say, yes, this is wrong. Um, it doesn't mean that I made it wrong, that I'm responsible for it being wrong, but God damn it, I can do something about making it better. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, Mike, you mentioned earlier the Social Enterprise World Forum in general, and, and this year it's going to be held in Ethiopia, where you're one of the speakers. So what are you most looking forward to about this year's World Forum? Well, I, I, I continue to be fascinated at how this movement is growing and, and how the forum is growing now just after a decade, uh, you know, going from a, a small group of a couple hundred people uh, to getting close to 2,000 delegates from uh, 60 or 70 countries around the world. I think that that's fascinating. And for me, what, I'm, what I always look forward to, and I'm really looking forward to being, being in Africa. I've never been to Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a, a very a dear friend from college who's Ethiopian uh, and is, is working on a project there. And, and I'm just so eager to, to share, uh, to understand that culture a little more and to yeah. be part of, of that experience. Um, but what I always find so uplifting um, being at these uh, at, at these gatherings, and what I am very much looking forward to being 
experiencing this in a new in a new country with more delegates that 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 probably haven't been to many of these forums in the past. Yeah, it is to see that these folks from the four corners of the world, uh, all doing the same stuff, all getting up every single day, fighting that good fight, uh, slugging it out to make their communities a better place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the scale is different. The methodology is different, but the motivation is the same. Yeah. And, and to me, that is so powerful at a time when, when it, it is, it is hard to, in my mind, it is hard to be an American. Uh, and it is really hard to live in Washington DC where I live and just to be bombarded by the sadness, uh, and, 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 and really ugliness of the news today mm-hmm. um to be in, in in that place where where people who really are uh living in, in much more trying circumstances than we are but but are, are are just are full of the joy of of the journey yeah uh, and and i am just thrilled and can't wait to be to get back there and, and or to get down there and to be part of that experience and really just share that that road that we're all on. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. You've spoken about the growth, Mike, of the forum over the last 10 years or so. So speaking a little bit more broadly about the sector in general, how how have you seen it transform and change over the last five years or so? Sure. Well, I, I'd say that, uh, again, it's been, it's been amazing to see what, what I think um, – especially in the UK and that's where things I, I seem to be plugged in a little more and, and Australia and, and I guess Australia, New Zealand as well. Um, and, and actually in Asia, how, how much more government has taken a, a role in supporting this sector mm-hmm. and, and recognizing that it is far more than something that's sort of neat, that it's fringe, that uh, it's just a group of people doing something that's sort of cute over here that might help a few people, but not really a whole lot. To coming to a place where there is this really this large recognition that this is a, a powerful new economy that we have to get not only get our heads around but support mm. uh, and really do the things that um, uh, that 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 government can government can't do directly but certainly can support in ways that that the communities that states that counties can make their own. And this can truly be homegrown solutions um, that can be supported by government entities. And, and to me, you know, to see the growth of that and to see the government involvement in these forums and uh, governments creating ministries and cabinet level positions mm. for individuals that specifically focused on this sector, I think is incredibly promising uh, and again, my hope is that we over here in the states catch up with the rest of y'all, uh, so so we can, uh, you know, so we can harness some of this power that we see. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, what advice would you give then to the aspiring social entrepreneurs out there who are who are listening, and they're just trying their absolute best to create this positive social impact? Sure. Well, it, it, uh, you know, on our, one of the things we have on our website, we've created what we call eight rules for righteous entrepreneurs. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and that's, that's a, a term that Robert Freight coined many years ago. Uh, and so we came up with actually eight, eight rules of things that, um, that we believe righteous entrepreneurs should do. And, and certainly social entrepreneurs fall in that, that category. Um, and ultimately, what a lot of those come down to is belief. Uh, that we we absolutely have to believe that what we are doing is the right 
thing. Mm. And that to me is, is really motivation enough uh, to keep going. Yeah. Um, we have to believe not only that this is again, not only that this is right and this is good, but it's smart. This yeah. is the smart thing to be doing. And if we think about the impact that we have, maybe not the, the one that you're not going to see on a profit and loss statement, but in terms of lives and about value created and communities sustained and 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 and, and cy- generational cycles broken, that is powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think you know, that's what social entrepreneurs have and have to keep going or have going for us and have to keep developing is that belief, is that that sense that. We've got to keep going forward. And, and, you know, I often say sometimes people ask me, like, why do you do this? Um, and I think they're asking, you know, looking for some sort of grandiose or some sort of Mother Teresa kind of uh, response. And, and, and although Mother Teresa might give this kind of response, and I say I do it because I'm selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have three kids. And, um, and you know, for, uh, until now, most generations could say that they turned over a better place than they than they arrived in for their children. Mm. I don't think that we can do that from my generation can do that. Mm. Um, there's a lot of problems we're going to be leaving behind. And if there's anything that I can do, if there's the smallest thing that I can be part of, it's going to make a, a, a help to create a little bit of a better path for those coming behind me, then I want to do it because I'm, I'm selfish and I want to see a better future for tomorrow for mm. those, those leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely aligned with you on that one, Mike. So to finish off then, what books would you recommend to our listeners? Perhaps there's some inspiring books to help people get out there and create that change you're talking about. <laughs> well, there, there's a book by, by uh, my colleague Alex Moore called The Food Fighters, which uh, gives a really cool history of DC Central Kitchen, our first 25 years. Mm. Uh, but I, I tell you, I, I did read something fairly recently called that, a book by um, the, a guy out of Harvard, uh, name is Sean Acor called the Happiness Advantage, and he talks about how happiness. And again, this is sort of like the nonprofit sector or the social enterprise sector. You think about happiness, and you think, oh, it's great, isn't that cute? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were all happy? But what he really talks about is how happiness actually makes things, makes businesses more pr- productive. Mm. How this in, factors into the economy. Um, certainly, all of the, a lot of these kinds of books, they're, they're. I guess easier read than done. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I and I and I do believe that if if we're not happy with what we are doing, and as, as I'm talking to you, I'm in the basement of one of the largest homeless shelters in the United States, a crumbling a building that um, that I'd rather be almost anywhere, you know. But here, in in terms of, of if we could, you know, we we're looking for a new home, a better a, we can build a better kitchen, we can have workspaces that are more dignified and respectful. Mm. Uh, but, but, but this is where we are. Yeah. And, and if we can't be happy while we're doing this, where we are, then we've got problems. Yeah. So I, so I think that that's, that's really cool. The happiness advantage and, and a book that I'm just starting, uh, is by a, an economist named Mariana, uh, Mazzucato mm-hmm. called the value of everything. Yeah. Um, the making and taking and um, making and taking the global economy. I think she's done some work with the Scottish government actually. And she really, um, and I don't want to speak too much to her work because I haven't gone, I'm, I'm just getting into it, but I've been reading a lot about her. Is that she really dissects the, the, a lot of what the, or deconstructs a lot of what we typically think about economy. Who are the makers? Who are the takers? 
uh, who's creating value, who's taking value. Mm. Uh, and really, and she talks a lot about what she thinks is a sort of this false dichotomy set up between the public and private sectors and, and one being good, one being bad, one being stagnant, one being creative, one being uh, one that can make and one that takes. And, yeah. um, and I think that there's inside of that discussion, there's a significant role for our sector to play uh, and, and to talk about really this. We really are this sort of fascinating bridge hybrid between those two, those what the traditionally considered public and private sectors. And I, and I think the social economy has a real role to play um, uh, as, we, as we think bigger and, and less traditionally about uh, you know, the, the economics 101 that we were taught in high school and in college. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think um, this seems to be an interesting place for us as, as social entrepreneurs to be, to maybe step into a, a, a place that hasn't been traditionally defined. Yeah. Absolutely. What a wonderful note to end on, Mike. So, Mike, it's been absolutely wonderful to speak today. Thanks so much for your generous insights and time. And I'll certainly look forward to seeing you this year in Addis Ababa in October at the World Forum. I'm looking forward as well, my friend. I'll see you there. And thank you so much for all you're doing and and spreading the word. We really appreciate it. It's our absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.